Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about suffering spouses and killer careers. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Warren Benedetto and Cryptic Wander 
are voice talents Steve Gray and Creepy Face. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Warren Benedetto and is performed by Steve Gray. In it, we meet a man suffering one of the cruelest fates there is, the loss of his true love. This makes Till Death Do Us Part take on a new meaning. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Things Are Looking Up. I've been in a dark place since the accident. I know I need to let her go, to accept that I'm never going to see her again, but I can't. I can't rest. I can't lie still. I can't move on. All I can do is think about her. What's done is done. What's dead is dead. I know that. Of course I do. She's in a better place. I know she's up there somewhere, looking down on me like a guardian angel. And I know I should take comfort in that. But I don't. The thought makes me livid. There's nothing for me here. Nothing but suffocating loneliness. It's like I'm drowning in crude oil, trapped in tar, sinking slowly into an infinite void. There's no warmth, no light, no hope. Just an impenetrable gloom that presses in on me from all sides, threatening to crush me with the grim finality of my situation. I'm alone. Forever and ever. Alone. But, I didn't have to be. What if I could be with her again? Even if only for a moment. She's so close, I can practically touch her. The only thing between us is a few feet of freshly turned earth. All I have to do is dig. I know there's something wrong with me. I know I'm not well. A normal person doesn't have these kinds of thoughts, but I don't care. I have to try to reach her, to see her one more time. I need to tell her I love her, I miss her, and I'm sorry. The accident was my fault. We wouldn't even have been on the road in the first place if I hadn't insisted on leaving her sister's place instead of spending the night there to wait out the storm. The forecast was calling for 12 to 18 inches of snow in the span of a few hours. An inch-deep carpet of downy white had already blanketed every surface outside. You seriously want to drive in this? Lisa asked. Why don't we just stay here for the night? We'll be fine, I insisted. The thought of spending even one more minute with Lisa's vapid sister and her idiot husband turned my stomach. At my urging, we said some hasty goodbyes, made vague promises about visiting again soon, then slipskated down the driveway to my car. I regretted the decision almost immediately. The snowfall was so heavy that I could barely see the road in front of me. It was a near-total whiteout, as if a shroud of white gauze had been draped over the windshield. I drove as carefully as I could down the winding mountain road, but I wasn't careful enough. We were on a steep downhill stretch when I lost control of the car. A tree had fallen across the road, on the far side of a blind curve, completely blocking our lane. Its branches materialized out of the snow-smudged darkness, like giant black claws reaching from the nether. 
My breath caught in my throat as I slammed my foot on the brake and wrenched the wheel. The tires didn't screech, they whispered, sliding silently on the blanket of snow covering the asphalt. The car fishtailed, spun, then plowed trunk first through the guardrail and over the side of the cliff. There was a brief, eerie silence as the car plummeted through open air. Then the world exploded in a cacophony of shattering glass and rending metal. Lisa and I were both thrown violently within the confines of our seatbelts as the car rolled down the slope and crashed into the trees below. Once the car came to a stop, everything became a blur. I remember looking over at Lisa as she slumped against the passenger side door, her head hanging loose on her neck. A fine dusting of snow blew in through the gaping hole where the windshield used to be, accumulating on her blood-matted hair like the delicate lace of a bridal veil. The next thing I knew, I was laying on my back, looking up at the night sky. One of the car's headlights was still illuminated, sending a beam of white light slicing through the frigid air like a distress beacon. The snow had stopped. There was no moon, just a low cover of clouds that pulsed with red and blue light from the emergency vehicles assembled somewhere on the road above. Muffled voices warbled like the underwater vocalizations of a diver shouting into a snorkel. Then I was floating in the air rising toward a giant metal bird that beat the air with a whoop, whoop, whoop sound, conjuring a dervish of stinging snow and freezing wind that blasted against my skin. After a long period of oblivion, I awoke on a table as a doctor wearing a rubber apron and blue nitrile gloves moved above me. Silhouetted against the bright light overhead, I tried to call out for Lisa, but I was unable to form any words. It felt like my mouth was stuffed with cotton like my lips were stitched shut. I remember how cold I was, as if they had opened every window to let in the frigid winter chill. I tried to raise my hand to signal to the doctor to close the windows, but I couldn't move. My limbs were stiff and numb. They felt almost foreign to me. The arms and legs of a mannequin instead of a human. Never mind the cold, I thought to myself. Where's Lisa? I resolved that as soon as I could speak again, I would ask the doctor to wheel me in to see her. Little did I know that it was already too late. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The funeral was horrible. Lisa's face was deathly pale in contrast to her all-black dress. The rouge on her cheeks, garish and overdone in an obvious attempt to bring some color to her ghostly pallor. I remember a parade of forlorn faces streaming past me, awkwardly mumbling their condolences. There were tears, hugs, prayers, a eulogy. Grief filled the room like a noxious ether. Lisa's parents were there. They didn't speak to me, though. They just stared vacantly at me from their seats in the front row. My suit felt uncomfortable and ill-fitting. The tie was way too tight. At first, I wondered why I had tied it so tightly before realizing that I had no recollection of tying it at all. Normally, it would have been Lisa who tightened it, ensuring that the knot was straight and even, but obviously it hadn't been her. So who had tied it then? I couldn't say. Whoever it was, they hadn't given much thought to my comfort. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't breathe. It felt like I was wearing a noose. After the funeral, the darkness settled in. Or, rather, I settled into it. I let it envelop me, succumbing to its cold embrace. I didn't know if there was still a sun in the sky, but even if there was, it didn't matter. Its light couldn't reach me. I was too far gone. All I could do was think about Lisa, about how we were doomed to spend eternity apart. There was no more us. There was just me and her. Me here. Her there. Forever. I'm not sure how long I allowed myself to suffer in silence before I decided to do something about it. I spent what felt like days in a dissociative fugue, floating outside my body, looking down on myself from above. What I saw made me sick. I didn't even recognize who I was anymore. I was a shell of my former self, wasting away, disintegrating into nothing. I had given up, allowing myself to succumb to my fate as if it was inevitable as if there was nothing I could do about it. But there was. I just had to summon the will to do the impossible, the unspeakable, the insane. I know things between Lisa and I can never fully be restored. There's no going back to how we were before the accident. Like I said earlier, done is done, and dead is dead. I know that. But if there's even the slightest chance that we can be together again, I have to try. As I reach up and begin clawing at the silk fabric lining the inside of my coffin, I feel a surge of hope for the first time since the accident. I don't know how long it'll take me to dig my way out of here, but it doesn't matter. I only have forever. I'll dig my way through the silk and wood, past dirt and worms, through grass and mud, emerging from the darkness and back into the light. I'm coming for you, Lisa. I love you. I'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed Things Are Looking Up, as written by Warren Benedetto and voiced by Steve Gray. Steve Gray is a writer, audio producer, slash director, narrator, actor, editor, and artist, specializing in horror, mystery, thriller, and fantasy fiction and art. 
Steve has appeared on the Chilling Tales for Dark Knights channel for several titles, including Jeff the Killer, Snow Angels, Sirens, among others, and original written works such as Bestial, The Rails, and The Vampire Testament. Warren Benedetto writes short fiction about horrible people doing horrible things. His stories can be found in anthologies from Scare Street, Black Hair Press, and Erie River Publishing, in publications such as Dark Matter Magazine and 365 Tomorrows, and on podcasts such as The No Sleep Podcast, Tales to Terrify, and The Creepy Podcast. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Cryptic Wonder and is performed by Creepy Face. Tragedy affects most workplaces in a factory setting. What happens when the worst tragedy happens to an employee and they are still called back to their place of employment? Now, without further ado, I present to you, please return to your workstation. Brandon Thompson, please return to your workstation. Brandon Thompson, please return to your workstation. The intercom echoed. It was another Friday night. I wouldn't be able to enjoy one since I had to work. Although it wasn't the worst job I could have in the plant. I'm employed in a rather large company that makes medical equipment. About 14 production lines in the large concrete building run 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. My position is driving around on a riding forklift we refer to as a horse. I bring pallets of supplies that the lines need and take finished pallets of product away. Pretty simple stuff, but 12 hours of it takes its toll on you, and on the night shift at that. Even after two years of doing the same thing, I'm lucky if I can manage a meager six hours of sleep while the sun bleeds through my blackout curtains. Still, it pays much better than any other place in my small town. So, like the rest of my co-workers, I plaster on that fake smile every shift and do my best to make it through to the next morning. Accidents would happen, of course. Usually never anything major. But once in a great while, somebody would screw up so badly they had to make a safety video about them. A few months ago, Jerry, one of our mechanical engineers, was up on a ladder fixing a product jam on the ceiling conveyor. He had just about gotten it straightened out when his weight shifted wrong and the ladder came out from below him. This wouldn't have been so bad were it not for the wedding ring on his finger. It got caught between some metal, and it came sliding off, along with the skin of his ring finger. Needless to say, production in the area came to a stop. Staff that was trained for medical emergencies came rushing over to the howling man and worked to try to stop some of the bleeding. There was a lot. Seeing the skin still hanging from the conveyor like a bloody used contraceptive, one of the staff propped up the ladder and made sure to grab it as if it could be sewed back on. 
That was a messy day for our little factory. Since then, no jewelry has been allowed on the floor. Instances like this were rare, usually. The worst would be a scraper, slammed finger. Of course, we had to watch the new safety video and go through more computer training on the situation. But things returned to normal. I drove on my horse, listening to the intercom call people back to their workstations. For me to bring various lines, certain products, or once in a while, some joker who thought they were funny play music from their phone on it. It was last week that the next serious accident happened. Much worse than someone having the skin of their finger sloshed off. David from the parts department was lifting a pallet of motors to his area on the second floor. Brandon Thompson was walking through the hall where David was and, like an idiot, decided to walk directly under the raised pallet. I think they were planning on installing a few new lines in the near future, but I'm not sure. The motors weren't properly wrapped, and the pallet bounced when the forks hit the next level. I had the misfortune to witness the hundred-pound motors come tumbling down. Some landed on the top cage of the lift, protecting David. Others slammed hard on top of Brandon, taking him down before he had a chance to yelp. I was stunned to see this gruesome scene before me. Blood was splashed along the walls and floor like crimson ribbons. Pink brain oozed out from the torn and half skull. His limbs lay below the still crushing weight of the motors pushed up in sickening angles. Someone in the distance was screaming, and I wanted to yell at them to shut up. Then I realized it was me. A lot happened at that point, but it was so fast that I couldn't really make sense of it all. I'm pretty sure I disassociated as I looked on. People came running over, and more people screamed. My throat was on fire from throwing up and poor David slipped on some of Brandon as he tried to get out and away from the forklift. Someone put their arm around mine and pulled me away toward the front offices. I was allowed to go home but would have to write an incident report in the next day or two. The whole thing messed me up pretty badly, but doing that seemed to help me out quite a bit. A week went by, and some of us could return to work. Others, mostly good friends of Brandon, stayed home, still grieving from the horrible loss. I didn't know Brandon well, and I was thankful for that. Still, every time I see the now much cleaner spot on the floor where he died, I couldn't help but feel for the guy. Work went on pretty much as usual, Lines would need stuff brought to them, and finished pallets needed to be taken away. The intercom would spout off, telling people to return to their workstations, and the odd song would ring out. I was getting ready for my first break when I heard it. Brandon Thompson, please return to your workstation. Brandon Thompson, please return to your workstation. What the hell? I thought to myself. I put it out of my mind and made my way to the cafeteria when I heard it again. 
Thompson. Please return to your workstation. Brandon Thompson, please return to your workstation. I saw David in the cafeteria and sat in the seat across from him. What's up with that? I asked. He chewed his sandwich thoughtfully before answering. It's just a last call, kind of a way of honoring Brandon and stuff like that. It's a little weird, don't you think? Nah, man. Wouldn't you want people to remember you after you died? I guess so. <laughs> I didn't think about it, to be honest. Well, best get used to it. We'll probably hear that for the next week or so. The entire night, different voices from across the plant called out for a co-worker that would never come. At least, I thought. And so it was. Tonight has been a real cluster. No accidents. Thank God. But part of me wishes it were that simple. I drove around the first half of the night, doing my regular rounds, hearing people call out for a dead co-worker. It was before lunch when I heard the commotion. Down toward the new side of the building, I drove. Footprints led the way, brown and muddy. They were dotted in strange gapes, some close, some far apart like that of a drunken dancer. Ahead of me stood a large crowd, and I got off the horse. Making my way through, I saw something that made me sick for a second time. Standing in the ring of people, was Brandon. One good leg seemed to hold most of the weight as glistening white bones snapped through the crushed meat of the other. I would guess that his arm dangled from what remained of searchers made by the mortuary. What remained of his destroyed head and face stared at everyone in a glare of anger. With a mostly toothless mouth, he drew in a shaky, wet breath. This place is a bunch of bullshit. I can't even die without being called back into work. After saying this, the body simply slumped over, and he left us a second time. I hope you enjoyed. Please return to your workstation as written by Cryptic Wonder and performed by Creepyface. You can find more of both Creepyface as well as Cryptic Wonder here on our very own network. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Scary Stories Told in the Dark with Otis Gyrie, airing Sundays. Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland, airs Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern, down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight. 
and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.